Joker, get in my office. Where are all these pictures about this pizza rat? I need more pictures of Spider-Man. The man's a menace. This pizza rat is a hero to New Yorkers everywhere. You give me more photos of this Spider-Man or you're fired. You know what you need to do? You need to go listen to Amazing Spider Talk. They know what's going on over there. Mark and Dan have the scoop. I ought to hire them. I don't even know why I keep your dumb ass around here. Too many who know the angles, uncover and untangle all the questions and the webs left out to tangle. Hello and welcome to The Amazing Spider Talk. My name is Dan Gavostin, and I'm the founder and editor of SuperiorSpiderTalk.com. And I'm Mark Chinacchio, founder of the Chasing Amazing blog and an editor at Superior Spider Talk. Thanks, everybody, for joining us for the 17th episode of our coverage of Volume 4 of Amazing Spider-Man. We hope you enjoy this podcast and that it provides an intelligent conversation between two fans and collectors as we hope to look at the Spider-Man comic universe in a bit of a bigger picture. Yeah, you bet, Dan. And for this episode, we'll be discussing Amazing Spider-Man, Volume 4, Number 17, by Dan Slop and R.B. Silva. Then we'll respond to your comments and emails and talk about a couple of Spider-News items that are uh, fit to print or debate on the airwaves, the internet waves. I don't know. What do we call it? The podcast waves. The P-Waves. We're surfing the podcast waves. The P-Waves. Now we're sounding like really bad, like, morning talk show hosts. Coming at you. Yeah, it should be an exciting show, Mark, if an atypical one isn't every day that we get a Spider-Man tale from the perspective of the Prowler, or really ever that we get a story (laughs) from the perspective of the Prowler. Of the Powler? Yes, that's what (laughs) I was trying to say. Very good. All right, Dan, well, let's get to it. Dan, as you alluded to in uh, that transition of sorts uh, coming into the segment, uh, that w- this is Amazing Spider-Man 17 was kind of a unique story structurally uh, in that um, really Spider-Man was a very minor character, and this was mostly told from the perspective of Hobie Brown, the Prowler. We kind of saw this a few years ago during uh, the prelude to ends of the earth where we got that all sinister six issue so this is certainly something dan slot has done before um actually personally i think this was a little more successful than the sinister six story um what what did you think in general about um switching the the lens over to hobie i thought it was a really wonderful decision um and you know i i don't want to make this into like a backhanded compliment but like i do think that dan slot is at his best when he's writing characters other than Spider-Man. And perhaps that's because someone like Hobie 
we don't come in with as loaded of expectations and knowledge about the character. So he can kind of be whoever Dan Slott wants him to be to a certain extent. There's not this kind of intense scrutiny on him. But uh, either way, like I thought he was just a way more fun character to follow for this story. Yeah, I mean, it's funny. I, I, I agree with you in that. I thought that, that Hobie was really well written, you know, and characterized here. But the same token, I couldn't help but think to myself as I was reading this, like, and I think we even mentioned this in a much earlier podcast and during the volume four run here where it was like, you know, where why haven't we been seeing more of Hobie? I mean, you know, yeah, I, I understand that we have all these different threads that need to be serviced, but, um, you know, Hobie Brown was kind of an unexpected surprise when when Volume Four kicked off last year, and, and frankly, um, you know, was part of the why I actually kind of liked the first four issue, four or so issues of this series was how he was being used, and then I kind of feel like that got dropped completely, and you know, we started seeing Spider Man and Mockingbird, and then other things. So, um, but you know, I guess to not be backhanded about it, I mean, it was. You know, we were reminded here why we like this character. I mean, there's something inherently likable about him, I guess, the way Dan writes him. Yeah, it almost makes me wonder if, you know, there's a a whole other amazing series that could be made here where of issues, none of which are actually about Peter as the main character, but all about his supporting people at Parker Industries, you know, with him kind of checking in on them. Like, I feel like that might have been the even more bold step to take in this relaunch is to kind of relegate Peter to the background as this corporate CEO that everybody is kind of having to, like, deal with. Because I actually thought in this issue we learn a lot about Peter even though he's not really in it. How he interacts with Hobie and what he challenges him to do says a lot about who Peter is as a boss. And and I think that's the interesting perspective to be gained from this series yeah i mean we're, we're we're definitely seeing in this arc the 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 darker side of, of of peter as a ceo i mean you know we we've we've talked about this again in earlier issues and kind of wondering if this was the direction they were gonna go and and you know, I think it is a, an interesting direction for certain. I mean, why why put Peter into into this um, kind of fish out of water status quo if you're not going to examine how it changes him as a character in more ways than just the fact that he has money? But you know, I I I, I do question if what we're seeing now is i don't want to say earned but it's like i i i've i've almost felt like in the lead up to this moment the these these moments that maybe draw into question what what has changed about peter have not really been well defined they've been very kind of like you know namby pamby for lack of a better phrase you know like dipping the toe in the water and not jumping in and i think that maybe some of what was going on here um, would have landed with a little more potency if um, we had had a better build to that. Does that make sense to you? Yeah, absolutely. I think the kind of scattered international approach to this series has kind of created all these pocket universes and jumping from one to the next 
like you said, has made it kind of scattered. So I think as like a, a single issue, I'd say this issue is really quite successful. But yeah, if I were reading this series straight through like we've been doing, yeah, it is a little scattered and all over the place. Um, you like, know, I, I, no, I'm sorry. Continue. No, no, no. I think that's about all, all I had in mind. Like, I'm just thinking, especially considering Hobie's ultimate fate in this comic, I mean, how much more impactful would that have been if we, leading up to this point, really were getting the sense of how Peter was becoming irresponsible for um, as, a, as a CEO, that he was letting his drive as, as a in, you know, titan of industry kind of blind himself to his core tenets. I mean, because let's, let's, let's be real here. I mean, Hobie, what happened to Hobie happened because Peter put him in a really bad situation. Yeah, absolutely. And, and, and that kind of gets to like, if, if I have like, like I have a couple complaints about this issue, nothing major. And one of them is not particularly this issue's fault. Cause I think this issue does it the best, but I, I feel like there hasn't been a through line um, regarding Peter's kind of uh, what, what seems to be kind of like a reckless turn as a CEO, to me it just hasn't felt consistent enough to be a plot or even even like a C-level plot. It just kind of happens here and there, and this is one instance of it. And maybe this is meant to be like kind of the big inciting, you know, uh, like sign of his kind of negligence as a boss – but um, I can only take it as kind of like bits and pieces at this point. Yeah, exactly. No, I'm, I'm, I'm with you 100%. Um, with that said, um, kind of the opening sequence, like um, in the midst of Peter really asking a shady things to be done on, you know, from Hobie, uh, you know, basic corporate espionage, even though Peter kind of, shrugs that off you know that that terminology but i i thought the banter between peter and hobie was really strong um it was like yeah it, like it, it, again it kind of created this this inherent likability to to both characters but with hobie it was like you know again it made that dramatic turn all the more um Dramatic, you know, the dramatic turn more dramatic. You know what I mean? It, 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 you know, the fact that we were seeing this personality and the jokes and the oh, you know, I I was self-employed. He was the best boss. He was handsome too. I mean, it was it was very breezy and likable. So when when you do have this sharp turn in tone at the end, it it it, it, it does feel more jarring. Yeah, I agree with you. And one of the things that I noticed, because I've reread this issue a number of times because I liked it that much, uh, I, is that this issue to me seems like the most poetic issue, uh, if you will, of the new uh, relaunch. Uh, Dan Slott really sets up a lot of like ideas and pays off all of them by the end. And you know, we get this beginning where you know um, Peter is asking the Prowler to swing out into the light, you know, let people see him, you know. And by the end of the book where he's being electrocuted, there's this nice little soliloquy that he kind of gives in his inner monologue about how he's best sticking to the shadows and staying out of the light. You know, and, and, and things like that, like every one of those things got paid off, whether it being him cooling his suit down to sneak in past the, the heat sensors to cooling down the lizard. There was no detail that felt like a drift in this, in this comic. It was all – very specifically chosen and paid off. Yeah, definitely. Um, you know, I, I, 
I don't know. Do you want to do you want to talk about some some speculative stuff first, or do you want to talk about some more plot points? Because um, let's stick to the plot and and save the speculation for the end. All right, great. Because I was I, I was going to say, I mean, the 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 sequence where Hobie infiltrates New You and and is discovered. Um, like, let's just say right here. To me, this was some of the best, most tense uh, storytelling we've we've seen from this book in a very long time. Like, and 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 it's kind of funny that this didn't even involve Spider Man. But like, you know, I, I I felt I felt myself as a fan of the book being very invested in what was going on, um, which I can't say has been the case. Even in some of the stories like Renew Your Vows that I've liked more than others, it, like, like I don't know, like you, did you feel that kind of connection to the to the danger of the situation and 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 also just not knowing what the outcome was going to be? Yeah, I mean, this story has that kind of interesting inherent intrigue because it is a simultaneous story to the previous issue. So any information that the Prowler gets out of New You, we know is not going to get to Peter because we know that Peter follows through on, you know, bringing New You in to save uh, his employee's life. Right. Uh, so there's no way that the Prowler is successful. And the minute that his communications got cut off, you know, I, I knew at that moment, I was like, well, this this is not going to end well uh, for this character. Um, and, and I like that. But I do think there is a downside to our knowledge of this being a simultaneous story because like the prowler sneaks into new you and he discovers the jackal and all those villains there but his perspective which we're seeing for the first time isn't really that different from the reader's perspective in issue 16 where we kind of got to see this scene already play out and i didn't feel like there was enough like um like new revealed from the prowler's perspective that like made this even more interesting. I felt like it could have been way more interesting if we hadn't already seen that in the issue prior. And, and I was thinking about it, that issue prior didn't even need that stuff necessarily. You could have increased the intrigue surrounding new you by not revealing who they are and having it revealed in this issue. Yeah, definitely. I mean, that, that would have landed, that would have made that blow land much more effectively. That's a great point. Um, now, um, if, if, if I could, rant for a few seconds <laughs> probably more than a seconds no so i mean you know one of the more problematic things i had with this issue and 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 it's not enough to completely sour me on it but i have to admit dan i mean it it it, it kind of bums me out after reading this i mean putting aside the positivity of the hobie and the tension of the fight scene at new you and and some of the things being turned out you know the introduction of Francine as the new Electro, and 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 you know maybe part of the problem here is you know I'm 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 judging uh, a new development based almost exclusively on prior work of the creator you know, Dan Slott in this case, um, and that I, I you know like I just couldn't help but feel really aggravated. I mean, so Francine basically gets you know she's been reanimated or whatever we want to say is going on by by miles and knew you and uh she ends up acquiring electra's powers um and and within pages of each other i mean she 
she totally zaps Electro, Max Dillon, and and he's dead. Um, and unlike the other, for now, but unlike the others, we don't actually see him get reanimated. Um, and then she kills Hobie. Um, and that but Hobie is reanimated and, and brought back. And, and, and we, so we, we got two problems with this. I mean, so first of all, it's like, you know, how many times are we going to have these characters that Dan Slott, like, you know, Dan Slott talks all the time about with these older characters, oh, that you can't be too precious and stuff like that. But I feel like, you know, he, he instead treats his own characters that he creates as being very precious um, and dominant and, and special and wonderful. And they, you know, they can wipe out all these older characters. And I feel like it's, 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 it's almost like, I don't want to say disrespectful because that's way too charged of a term, but you know, it brings me back to what we saw during the superior era with like menace and Dr. Kafka. I mean, menace is a, is a creation of, of slots and Dr. Kafka was kind of just, you know, after years of being in the spider books, kind of just ingloriously murdered more or less off panel. And it was like, okay, well, you know, it's, it, 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 it only, you know, she was fodder to further a slot creation story. And I feel like that's what we had here with Francine. It was like, you know, let's, Let's wipe out Max Dillon and let's have these awful things happen to, to Prowler to kind of advance the story of Francine. And I don't know, that just bothers me. It bothers me because I've seen this creator do this before. And, you know, I don't know. I'd rather see a character, a new character kind of earn their stripes before they can be the alpha dog, so to speak, in the, in, in the pack. And, and there just never seems to be that level of restraint with these characters when, when you know, in the dance slot era. And I don't know if I'm being too um, sensitive or what, but it, it, it took me out. It took me out of the story when that was happening. I was like, really? She gets to like wipe out two Stan Lee created characters in, in this event in one book. I mean, that seems a little extreme. Yeah. I, I feel you on that. Um, I don't, I don't think it upset me quite as much as it seems to have maybe not upset, but rubbed you the wrong way. But, mm-hmm. I, but I do understand, and I do think it is a valid criticism, um, you know, especially given the history of Dan Slott's time on this book. Um, I was not as precious about Dr. Kafka because we hadn't seen her in forever. Right. Um, and to me, the reason this worked for me, and yes, I would have loved more time to get to know Francine prior to this so that she was an established character. Um, I mean, I can think. You know, there are characters that appear in one book and suddenly become these giant forces of nature, like uh, Eddie Brock as Venom. Um, but, uh, yeah, Francine, she was in, what, issue two of the previous book, and that was it for a couple of panels. And now here she is as a major, like, foe now, it seems. Yeah. Um, but I will say, in this issue, I thought that the, the thought... Uh, writing that Dan Slott did, the thought boxes, for her really fleshed out the character and, get, and made, at least interested me in the character. And I thought it was somewhat poetic justice that, you know, Max Dillon would die by the reverse of kind of his own 
callousness towards uh, his powers and and her, um, and that was interesting to me to see that kiss kind of reversed. Um, and and regarding Hobie, um, I, I'm okay with his death and resurrection. Uh, primarily because within the story, I felt it was also an interesting story beat because at the beginning of the story, we have him imitating Spider-Man and it kind of gets you, it makes you think that you're reading Spider-Man until it reveals that it's the Prowler pretty quickly. But it gets you thinking like, well, if he can do all this stuff, clearly he could just be Spider-Man and he takes down a number of these guards and sneaks in like Spider-Man might sneak in. Although Spider-Man is more prone to throwing fisticuffs than sneaking into places. Um, but uh, to me, this moment was good because he says, I have all the skills of Spider-Man, and he shoots her with a web. Right. And and we often complain that, you know, Spider-Man is not shown to be superior in these books, that anybody could be Spider-Man. Well, this very clearly illustrates that Hobie is not the experience, you know, necessary. And he, by connecting that line to... Uh, this new Electro character, he you know suffers the uh, a, a quite horrendous death because of it. Um, yeah, yeah. No, I, I I get it. I mean, you know, and 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 I know what you're saying with Francine, but I mean, like again, I mean, and you mentioned kind of like other characters that quickly become a force of nature, but you know, when you go back to look at like the first appearances of like Venom or Carnage or or even like Moreland, I mean, you know, these guys. They they proved to be very tough adversaries for Spider Man, but you know, in terms of like the the carnage they leave in their in their wake, it's it's mostly red shirts and and whatnot. I mean, like I I, I think again, it's it's when I talk about earning your stripes, it's it's you know, like you, you your your first kill shouldn't be Max Dillon. Yeah. I, yeah, yeah, that's. I, I think that's that's what it boils down to, regardless of the the poetic nature of it, and 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 just kind of to jump off that too. I mean, and this was the other element of what bothered me about this stuff with not even just. I mean, Francine was kind of the 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 the, the medium for it, but you know, we're 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 already we're already beating uh, a uh, a major plot point of this story into the ground, which is that like, you know, dead is not dead. And that, you know, in a, in a, in a snap of the finger, someone can come back and yes, there's something off about that person when they come back. But it's like, you know, the, the more we keep doing this and doing this and doing this, it, 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 it subsequently lowers the six. So it's even, even like what you just said with electro, I'm saying, well, she killed Max Dillon and you are saying for now. And it's like, you know, to me, that's a problematic response because it's like, you know, what, what are you trying to achieve? I mean, is, 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 you know, are you really trying to show that this new Electro is so potent she can kill the new, the, the old one? Or is it really just, these are just devices and we'll bring those characters back right away anyway? Because I, 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 you know, like that's, that's a, that's a, to me, that's not the, the attitude a reader should have with these kind of comic books. I mean, not, you know, like obviously it's dead no more. Dead is not dead. But like if we beat this into the ground, then dead is dead is not going to mean anything because it's, 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 it's been so cheapened, you know? Well, I mean, I jokingly say for now because death has been cheapened in general in the Marvel universe. Nobody stays dead 
ever, you know, uh, except for maybe Fancy Dan, uh, who I think is still dead, right? <laughs> I thought it was Ox or Montana or one of them. I, I don't think it was Fancy Dan. I thought it was uh, – maybe, maybe, maybe it's not Fancy Dan. I can't remember which one of the enforcers plummeted to his death. But um, in, in what was that? The, the attack on, uh, on um, Shadowlands? But um, yeah. I, I say that glibly because it is interesting that, to me that Electra was not revived because, yes, I think, you know, like dead doesn't mean dead in this story, but um, there does seem to be an additional wrinkle to it in the form of this pill and whatever it is that Hobie saw at the end of the issue. And to me, it's kind of a way of saying – Except that people are going to come back, but that's not the real mystery here, um, and 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 that's just going to be a part of the story. Um, and there is another. I mean, to get into speculation for a second here, you know, the Jackal instructs Francine um, as Electro. Uh, I think you coined her Electro scene, <laughs> uh, which I quite like. Uh, okay. It doesn't really mean anything, but it's fun to say. Um, but uh, he instructs her to specifically not to kill uh, the Prowler to bring him back alive, um, which to me suggests – because if it was a guy who would just clone willy-nilly, you know, why not just kill someone and then bring the corpse back and resurrect them? You know what I mean? Um, it suggests to me that there's some other uh, – there's something else going on. Um, and the non-resurrection of Electro, you know, might might be just that. Now, this might not be an answer to your problems with Francine killing off a Stan Lee character on her – or two Stan Lee characters on her first bout. But in, in regards to the clone issue, um, to me, this seemed – and this might prove to not be true. But at least for this issue, it seemed like to me a successful pivot away from – the surprise is no longer that people are coming back. Just take that as a given fact. The surprise is going to be whatever is beyond the curtain, uh, so to speak, in, uh, in this book. All right. Well, why don't we why don't, why don't we treat that segue to talk about beyond the curtain, and then we can kind of come back and talk a little bit about um, the artwork of this book. But um, so, I mean, what what are some of the things that you picked up on that that kind of tickled you in terms of speculation items, uh, you know, where, where this might be headed. Well, I want to pick up from where we were last week, or I guess two weeks ago, where we discussed um, the potential of new you, rep- meaning new universe. Uh, I, I want to follow up with you. Do you think that there are still clues towards that being a reality, or do you think this issue very declaratively said these are just normal clones? Um, there's, we, I still don't think we have enough information to make any definitive statements, but I mean, you know, certainly there was probably a little more in this issue leaning towards clones of some fashion. Um, but I, I, I don't, you know, I, I still wouldn't be shocked if there was some kind of multi-universal thing going on in play here. And while I still remain skeptical, um, there is a line at the end of the book that, you know, with this context made the hair stand up on the back of my neck. 
I think some people call that a spider sense. <laughs> um, but, um, where Hobie sees whatever it is that – and whatever it is could very well be a portal because the illumination of that chamber is quite interesting. Um, and everybody that's standing around in the chamber revealed by the jackal seems to be looking at something quite large. Um, at mm. least that was the interpretation I got. Was that Does that seem fair? Yeah, definitely. And Hobie says, quote-unquote, uh, you're building a better world, Professor Warren. Um, yeah. And that's certainly interesting. Um, I don't know if we think that the new universe is necessarily a better world, so to speak, but uh, it, uh, building a better world, that's a very weird, weird phrasing. Yeah, what is he, like Ultimate Reed Richards or something? Or uh... <laughs> <laughs> Do you have any theories on the Jackal's identity? I mean, are we playing this game? Is, is it, are we just accepting it's Miles Warren? I I won't accept it. Not because again, it's it's still too early, and 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 I I, I feel like in these kind of stories, slot loves to fill it up with red herrings. But I, I you know again, I'm not I'm not about to make a prediction about what the twist is because. The twist is never <laughs> twist is never what we predict it to be, and I'm not trying to be defeatist about it. I'm just saying that you know, I yeah, I don't I don't know. I the don't Goblin know. King is definitely Normie Osborne, Mark. I still yeah. swear to God. Well, you know, but <laughs> again, the twist there wasn't much better than Normie Osborne. I'm sorry. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. But I'm, it was, I'm but it was something, something that no one was predicting. I guess <laughs> Norman Osborne was a facelift. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I mean, I'm going to go out on a line here and say that I think there is a possibility, and I have nothing really to back this up except for an an interesting continued quote in this issue of we're the good guys. What did you think of that, Mark? Yeah, I mean, twofold. I mean, one, we saw, again, we saw this before during Ends of the Earth. I think this is kind of a theme that Slot likes to um, – explore a lot in in these stories this kind of idea of flipping uh the perceptions of good and bad on their on their ear a little bit um you know so it's something he goes back to it's a well he goes back to a lot but it certainly plays into peter parker's part of the story in this issue right um with that being said you know, and, and again, we can. You could chalk this up to your other speculation about who is actually the man in the mess. This is this is this ain't your uh, clone saga's jackal here, in terms of how he's being portrayed and characterized. Am I right? Or even Spider Island's jackal? It, like it's no jackal I've ever seen before. Yeah, this is very like almost dare I say sedated. Um, you know, like. There's there's a chilling sinisterness to what he's doing because, you know, yes, I know that the theme that's going to probably come through is, yeah, if you're bringing someone back from – if you're rescuing someone from death, though, isn't that a good thing? I mean, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm of the mindset in the real world that, you know, dead is dead. <laughs> if someone dies, it's probably for a reason. Bringing them back is only going to have bad repercussions. Um <laughs> It's never but, worked out for any character that performed that. No, it never has. Um, but at the same token, like he, he, there, you know, Jackal 
even going back to his first appearances in Jerry Conway, it was kind of this meddlesome, almost Joker-esque um, manipulator. I mean, he became very similar to the Joker more so in the 90s. But um, but this is not that. So, um, you know, is that because this is Miles Warren but not our Miles Warren? He's a different Miles Warren from a place where he is the good guy? I don't know. Dare I say it could be Ben Riley? He is the Scarlet Spider after all, and a red outfit might be quite fitting. Uh, I wasn't even thinking that, but eh, I don't know about that. I just think when there's a clone story, Ben Riley's not too far behind. Um, but uh, the one thing that keeps me thinking that it's Miles without questioning it is in the free comic book day issue – the inclusion of Gwen Stacy serving him champagne. No one has a relationship with Gwen Stacy quite like Miles Warren's twisted relationship with Gwen Stacy. And uh, I just don't see that fitting with any other character. The, again, I guess, so I guess coming back to your, your you know, supposition is, is this not our universe's Miles Warren in some fashion? Yeah. I mean, I, I'm, I'm still going to kind of, Hang my hat on that as the as the twist here, but um, you know, feel free to feel free to remain skeptical, Mister Dan. Yeah, and then another thing that I thought was interesting is you know when Francine is cloned, she seems to be growing out of this egg of some sort, um, but Hobie Brown, when he's cloned, comes out of like a classic cloning chamber. That we saw all the way back in the clone saga, the like second clone saga, if you will, um, and uh, I'm like, okay, it could just be an artist's kind of fun interpretation, but that's typically not been the case in these Dan Slott stories. He seems to give, you know, while he works the Marvel style, he gives very explicit notes about, at least it seems about like the you know how things and technology is visualized. Did that? Did the did an appearance of an egg cloning chamber say anything to you other than like alien? Uh, I don't know. I was I, I I didn't read too much into it in terms of you know how the vessel could be. I I, I mean you're right. You know anything could be a clue, but like I I I, I guess I wasn't pouring over that level of detail. The way you did in terms of forming where I think this might be going, I, 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 I you know, for 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 every hyper detailed thing that Slot programs into his books are just as many things, if not more, that you know are either inconsistent because of editing errors or or are are brought up and then promptly forgotten. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I, I just go back to the. That issue, that issue several issues ago where we saw, like, Miles Warren's glasses apparently poking around the face of the man in red. Mm-hmm. And, like, that kind of detail to me seems like it had to have been asked for from the writer. Um, and so I, I've just kind of been digging through all of the minutia in these books. Like, why is there, like, a Gyarados statue down in the basement of of wherever the jackal is? And... Uh, you know, these other kind of weird things. Um, I guess the last big thing to talk about is the th- our thoughts on the pill, um, which to my mind, 
I immediately went to, oh, that's how you prevent like clone degradation or or whatever. Yeah, or or does the pill kind of? I don't know because there's there's something kind of zombie esque about these characters when they emerge from their pods or shells or eggs or whatever. So I mean, is is the pill kind of like a way to insert assert control? Like you know, like they're essentially just vessels without this pill, and the pill gives them the power of cognitive thought, and but but also at the cob you know with the caveat of you're under control of, the, of Warren. I don't know. Yeah, I was thinking going back. I mean, that's certainly a possibility. I was thinking about like last issue with the unnamed disease that J. Jonah Jameson Sr. has. Um, Right. And like I was wondering, well, perhaps maybe he's a clone that stopped taking his pills and now he's like, you know, falling apart. You know, like he escaped the factory back in that subway issue. And, you know, stop, ran out of pills or something like that. And, and this is his, you know, clone degeneration, you know, if you will. Or, or even his mind matrix. <laughs> well, you know, for the record there, though, Dan, I think I was the one who originally said maybe Jameson's a clone. So I don't, right, you point, you credit, I, Mark. I don't want you pointing that off as, as, as your thought there. I, 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 and I believe your initial reaction was like, what? Shut up. I don't think so. I, I thought that was really plausible. Okay, fine. Whatever. Anyway. Don't, don't you take away my reaction, Mark. Okay, fair enough. Fair all enough. Right, all right. Oh, you know what? One little thing I wanted to point about, out about this issue before I forgot about it is the Pokemon Go obsessed guards. Uh, um, I thought it was quite funny, especially with the callback to the Prowler shouting, look, a Mewtwo later on and then beating the crap out of them. But, like, it reminded me of the two inept guards from issue two of this series uh, when they're breaking into that underwater uh, thing, doing the exact same thing, crawling on the ceiling and then kicking the crap out of these guards. Right. Uh, And I, I messaged Dan Slott about it. Are these the two same inept guards just working for a different company? <laughs> and he said, I hadn't thought about it. Perhaps they're my Rosencrantz and Guildenstern. Uh, and uh, so I, uh, if they show up again, I'm taking full credit for the for these two guards. Uh, uh, keep <laughs> They're using that Hench app uh, from the uh, Astonishing – or the – uh, the Ant-Man series written by uh, Nick Spencer, and, uh, and they're getting hired by all of these supervillains. <laughs> Very cool. Well, at least, at least you got a response out of him from that. That's good. Yeah, yeah. He and I are getting quite chummy on, on Twitter, weirdly enough. Well, that makes one of us. <laughs> <laughs> well, let's talk about the art here. Okay, sure. Um, well, this was a fill-in artist, but um, certainly didn't show, right? I mean, that was... Uh, R.B. Silva's work was, was I, I thought, very, very good. Yeah, I, I agree with you. Very detailed. Uh, one of the things I love in superhero comics is, like, R.B. Silva seems to find exactly the right pose in every frame to make it, like, really dr- like really dramatic and heightened in just the way I like my superhero comics. I mean, you know, I kind of, not to... Rip on it. No, I'm not necessarily ripping, but I mean, like when when we had the Cloak and Dagger arc a few months ago with what was it uh, Bafangi's uh, fill in. I don't know. I like probably I, you know after seeing Silva, I was kind of like, 
you know, let's get let's get this guy on 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 call. You know what I mean? Like I I, I really enjoyed it. I thought it was it was, you know, different enough from from Giuseppe Camoncoli without it also feeling like a totally different book visually. Yeah, and I liked the balance that was struck here between the inks and the colors because the inks were really thin, you know, which allowed his mm-hmm. details to kind of stand out. And, like, in order to get depth, like, I thought this was one of the best colored issues from Marty Gracia, who I'm probably mispronouncing his name. But, like, his colors really added a lot of depth, and I thought it was a nice balance between the kind of, like, thin pencils and his and his colors, which, you know, Common Coley's inking has often been very heavy – or not mm-hmm. heavy, but like his detail is so low that the inkers tend to kind of make the lines thicker. And with the gradients that uh, Gracia uses, uh, I've never felt like it was a perfect pairing. But here, this thing like just like sung that perfect note for me. Definitely. All right. Well, you want to give this uh, a, a grade? Yeah. Um, you know, I'm giving this one a, a B plus, mostly because there's a lot of kind of rehashing here. Mm-hmm. But I think if 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 the previous issue had, didn't contain so many of the scenes in this book, I definitely could have bumped it up to an A. Wow. Well, I mean, you know, again, I had my complaints that I, I, I told you about, but I still mostly enjoy this. So I'm, I'm a few notches below you. I'm at a B minus. I mean, if anything, I, I feel like this really got me excited and primed for this, uh, you know, clone conspiracy, you know, series. I, I'm... I'm more curious than ever to figure out what's going on um, with this issue, even more so than I was the last issue. Oh, absolutely. Um, no, this this so far we're okay. Although we're not technically in the story yet, this is still all prelude and prologue, so we'll see. Yeah. All right, Dan. Well, why don't we why don't we talk talk to our fans for a few. Guys, of course, you can email us at AmazingSpiderTalk at gmail.com. Tweet at us on Twitter with the hashtag okay to print. Leave us a voicemail at 9RedGoblin. Uh, leave us comments on our iTunes and Stitcher. And, and uh, what else are we on, Dan? We're on all those things. All those things with podcasts. Yeah, absolutely. And we haven't heard from the Red Goblin in a while. So is that a good thing, Mark? I don't know. The, that 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 first call was a little disconcerting. So, you know, I think the longer we go without threatening phone calls, the better. All right. That's that's fair. That's fair. Uh, well, all right. Well, we've got uh, a bunch of emails here to go through. So um, let's. Uh, I'll tackle the first one here. Okay. Uh, this one comes from Leron Halleck, who, uh, whose name I probably butcher every time and then get an email about how I'm butchering it. But uh, anyway <laughs> – uh, Liron go, uh, writes to us, um, hi guys, wasn't the new universe, a huge part of Hickman's Avengers run and the infinity event, the white event, star brand and night mask originated from there, right? I'm not currently reading the Avengers line, but I think star brand and night mask are a part of one of the teams. Love the show. So, um, yeah, yeah, I guess well, that's true. I guess well, well, I was say, well, that requires understanding Hickman's Avengers and Infinity, so um. <laughs> <laughs> which is an undertaking. I mean, you know, I didn't, I didn't, you know, I think when I read that the first time, I didn't have my copy of the you know complete guide to the Marvel Universe with me, 
uh, to, to crib. Um, so, um, but yeah, I, 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 I do believe though that, that those details are correct. <laughs> yeah. They're not, they're not characters that have like jumped universes like, uh, Miles Morales has done. Um, he just took those stories and ideas and then brought them into the regular Marvel universe. But yes, they did originate there. And, uh, um, I don't know, Mark, have you been reading the star brand and night mask series? I have not. Uh, I have, and uh, Spidey fans, there's an interesting thing that um, uh, Kong, Kenny Kong from the Ultimate Spider-Man universe, uh, I guess stories, uh, has reappeared in those stories. And so it seems as though he has survived Secret Wars, um, but is not doing anything with the Miles Morales cast. He is off in college attending school with Starbrand and Nightmask. Wow. Yep. That's, a, that's all I got. <laughs> <laughs> I liked Kenny Kong as a character. So I'm, it's nice to see that someone else has a, has a love for him. So, uh, and then he right. didn't get destroyed in the death cloud that was Secret Wars. There you go. All right, Dan. Well, moving right along, we got uh, a comment from uh, Trey Wright um, who wanted to let us know. Um, he believes that the Jackal was revealed uh, in the free comic book day comic. Um, you know, which might have been off some people's radars. Is that true, Dan? Because I still have not read that comic. Well, you ought to pick it up so your collection is complete, Mark. Oh, okay. Uh, we're gonna go, we're gonna play that game. Sure. Uh, hey, look, <laughs> you have played that game with me for years now. <laughs> All right, sure. Go on. Uh, um, uh, you know, Trey, uh, I thought you might be right, and and thus voiding our criticism of the previous issue where we said it was kind of dumb that. The Jackal's identity was revealed in a title caption for a scene, and I went back and read that issue, and I don't believe that it was revealed in that issue. We see a bunch of Jackals surrounding the man in red, but I don't know that it's necessarily said that it is for a fact the Jackal and Miles Warren in that issue, uh, as much as context clues would lead you to believe that. Um, so I stick to our criticisms of issue 16 of this series. There you go. Well, Dan, this uh, next one is definitely geared towards you. Yeah, this one comes from Dallas Dillon, who says, hey, guys. That's a great comic book name, by the way. Yes, it is. The alliteration is great. Um, yeah. We're going to write a series about a character named Dallas Dillon. Yeah. What, what is Dallas Dillon's uh, superhero story, Mark? I don't know. Why don't you read uh, Dallas's email first, and then I'll come up with one. All right. That sounds fair. All right. He says, I hope you guys are doing well. I had a random question for Dan. I know you've mentioned in previous podcasts that you used to be a school teacher. I was just wondering what grade and subject you taught. I actually taught at uh, Midtown High, and uh, I taught uh, chemistry and biology. No, that's uh, not true. That's a lie, Dan. <laughs> Give an honest answer. It's a serious question. Yeah, um, I'm not sure why you're curious. Maybe you're a teacher yourself, but um, I taught the digital arts. Um, I taught – and algebra for a year, uh, but I taught film, photography, black and white photography on actual film. And I even taught a class on graphic novel design where all of my students made their own 11-page comics. Um, so, yeah, I don't know why I left that awesome job, but I did. Um, but, uh, yeah, that's, that's what I taught. And anybody who's looking to be a teacher, man, there's no better job out there, um, despite my having left that field. Um, so yay. I hope we have some teachers listening cause I have the most respect for you. 
Maybe Dallas asked you this question because his superpower is I'm I'm his his alias is Teacher's Lounge Man. Oh, I like this. Um, you know, he he can instantly open a portal to any teacher's lounge in any high school. Um, and you know, just talk shop and you know, hang out in the team. Because what else goes on? It's teachers' lounges. Dan. Does he Those... have the Does he have the power to immediately vaporize all of the cigarette smoke in the air? Is that what goes on in teachers' lounges? I I I, I wouldn't know, Dan. I I, I don't you think know. so anymore. But it definitely used to. I, I I I remember as a kid, you know, my 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 mom was a high school was a elementary school teacher, and I was always impressed in the teachers' lounge because it had a soda machine in it. Yeah, that's, and, a, that's always fun. And I was just like, "Ooh, Coca Cola, please!" As like a nine year old, which was frowned upon. But in my teachers' lounge, from my history as a teacher, it was like a mini celebration of Festivus, mainly because it was just a lot of airing of grievances. <laughs> Very nice. All right. Well, uh, last email. It's uh, from uh, Kevin Ewing. Uh, he writes to us. He goes, when can we expect Mark's listicle se- or series of articles on the top five greatest and essential Flash Thompson's Flash Review special guests? <laughs> I like um, that he ends his email, listfully yours, Kevin Ewing. Yeah. I've Mark, been, when been, can we expect it? Um, I'm, let me finish this this other list that's been going on for nine months, and then and then we can we can we can approach this. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks for the email, Kevin. Yeah, I, I, I you know I'm trying I'm trying with these articles, Dan. I'm telling you, I, I you know I, I I will I will reveal at a later date why I'm a little slow on the uptake lately with some of this stuff. But um, let me just and and it is oddly enough kind of tied into listing things. Um, I will I will corroborate you or, or support you here, Mark, and say that the our listeners will be very thrilled when they find out what it is. Um but but um yes when 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 I finish my other lists uh with Spider Man versus other people's enemies um, only two left, <laughs> and I'm re- and, and one is a definite a given. <laughs> um <laughs> So, um, but uh, and then maybe finish this other project. We can, we can, we can start getting into deeper cuts. Like, so I mean, top five. We had six Flash Thompson guests. So I guess I, I would have to then pick the one that I thought was not good, huh? Yeah, I, I guess so. I mean, uh, I feel bad because, uh, uh, in all honesty, I tried to set up a poll on the front page and. The, I could not find a WordPress plugin that allowed me to put more than five uh, choices, so I had to eliminate someone, and it was purely by, like, random, like, the one I thought of the least yeah. uh, ended up being excised from the, from the polling. So I'm sorry for all of our fr- fans out there at Professor Frank. It was Sewer Trainer, Dan. All right, fine. It was Seward Trainer. All right. Anyway, let's 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 get to a couple of quick spider news items. Spider Man, Spider Man does whatever a spider can. Spins a web any size, catches thieves just like flies. Look out! Here comes the Spider Man. So Dan, I heard we got an MJ. 
Well, you may have heard wrong already because reports are already saying that she's not MJ again, that she is in fact Michelle. Um, but uh, we got a rumor from The Wire, which uh, is in Baltimore, if you don't know. Uh, and uh, the rumor is that – that's not true. But uh, the rumor is uh, that Zendaya, uh, who is previously reported to be Michelle by the director, is potentially playing MJ. And it seems as though it was going to be a bit of a surprise in the movie um, that she, she was playing MJ. And we talked about this briefly last week. But I thought it worth bringing up again because it caused the internet to have a minor panic attack, or at least corners of the internet. In fact, uh, corners of the internet where I imagine Swarm might be buzzing about. Yeah, yeah. Um, I, di- I, I didn't realize that they had kind of you know, tried to play off that rumor now. I mean, I, I, I do hope that this – the you know – Switching back and forth has nothing to do with the fan response because, you know. I doubt it. I mean, the film has already been being shot for like a month. I don't think that's true. Yeah. But, I mean, with that being said, it's kind of like, all right. So, obviously, the the, um, controversy, if you will, is like, you know, Zendaya is, is a black actress and Mary Jane originally, as originally conceived in the comics, is not. A black woman, and you know, Dan. I think you and I have both kind of been on the record and saying, "Who cares?" <laughs> and and I don't know. I mean, is there? Do we have anything to add about that? I mean, you know, if if you know, the other the other thing was, oh, what about the red hair? And you know, a that's what wigs and hair dye are for. But but and B, who cares? And B, who cares? I mean, you know, I think I said to somebody who was kind of arguing with me about this. They said that, you know, Mary Jane's red hair is like her defining characteristic. And, and my response, and I stand by this, is if a character's defining trait is their hair color, then they have failed as a character. Absolutely agree with you, Mark. <laughs> and like to me, I'm like, this is great because Zendaya is like actually a model. So like – you can pick and choose whatever characteristics you want from the character, but like, I mean, honestly, I don't think uh, you know Kirsten Dunst uh, or Kristen Dunst really portrayed MJ well in those movies. Yeah, she looked exactly like MJ. Uh, although there was also an uproar about that—a blonde woman being cast as as MJ uh, back when that movie came out. Yeah, I I, 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 I I chuckled and you know, I tweeted this at Dan Slot, but I did not get a response because, you know, apparently I'm not as chummy as you are with him. Not everybody uh, can be besties with Dan Slot. I guess not. I guess not. Well, you know, I, I I have someone new on Twitter asking me every week if when when if Dan Slot has blocked me and I that that I don't get. I don't insult him. <laughs> Why would I get blocked? <laughs> Well, we we had our first uh, – this is worth bringing up, I think. We uh-huh. had our first kind of run-in with what Dan Slott deals with probably day in and day out. is right. people ascribing motivations to us that we are anti-Dan Slott and, and anti uh, this casting choice for MJ, this, this rumor of a casting choice. And, right. uh, and I responded, uh, sorry, we don't think it's a bad idea. And this guy just started sending racist tweets at me. Yeah, it was fun. Um, but anyway, I, I, I had tweeted because Dan Slott has been very adamant about this not mattering. And I tweeted at him just, just 
just for chuckles, not because I agreed with it, that I, I was in um, just looking up some old articles from when the original um, Sam Raimi Spider-Man movie was being cast. When they cast Kirsten Dunst, like this like one kind of like internet critic who had been following a lot of the casting rumors and stuff was like, well, Kirsten Dunst has been confirmed for Mary Jane. She clearly is going to have to dye her hair or get a wig. Like there was like... You know, like the way it was written, it was like there is no conceivable way that Mary Jane Watson will exist without red hair. Which, again, like I said, if your defining trait for a person, for fictitious character is only their hair color and not, you know, things like their personality, their their demeanor, their rapport with the character, their the way they speak. I don't know, man. I... I <laughs> Well, to bring it full circle, you know, remember the casting of Emma Stone as uh, Gwen, where people were complaining that she was a redhead and not a blonde when she was right. actually a natural blonde and had dyed her hair red for years. Right, right. It and, doesn't and matter. It doesn't, it doesn't matter. Ma- right. She was a great Gwen, even though she didn't really act that much like Gwen. I was uh, say she was a great MJ. <laughs> yeah, she was a great MJ. Yeah, and the same is true of like MJ in in the. Uh, in the original Spider movies, she was a great Gwen Stacy. Bryce Dallas Howard, on the other hand, not a great Gwen. No, no. But Kirsten Dunst's character was essentially an amalgamation of Gwen Stacy and and MJ. So, yes. like, what if Zendaya is the best character interpretation of MJ? I want someone who is really like, uh, you know, like. Uh, how would you say effervescent and and partier and but is you know using that to hide their weaknesses and insecurities like great like I want that character and I don't care if like what they look like I mean what, this is 2016 like come on yeah uh, you know like let's 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 move on I mean we 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 also had another variation of this with the what was it Shane I can't say her first name Shane Lee Woodley Shailene Shailene thank you. You know, not being "quote unquote" hot enough uh, for MJ. I mean, can we? You know, the 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 certain elements of the fan base and their attachments to this character. Uh, I, I'm just I'm just gonna say it, Dan. It's a little little odd to me. It's all a little odd, Mark. <laughs> I, I I know I know. You know I know, but it's it's. <laughs> a little odd and, and i can sense people getting like you know like i i don't want to say that our audience is going to get angry about this but there are going to be people listening to this that disagree with us and that's fine but like you know and i, I don't want to say like we are like the ultimate spider-man fans but like no we have a huge attachment to this character and it doesn't bother us like so it's worth examining why and it's not because we're some like liberal, or as the guy on the internet called me, a hipster. P- uh, maybe I'll bleep that out. Uh, but like, I'm not doing yeah, this hip, to be hipster. Is such a hipster is such a bad word. Dude. Yeah, it is. I feel I feel awful. It's de- and it's definitely so uh, relevant in 2016. Um, it, 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 this is a, this is a uh, attack coming from someone who has no idea what even a hipster was 10 years ago, um, <laughs> but. Even ten years ago, that was dated. Um, but uh, I'm not doing this to be like PC or a liberal lefty or whatever. Like, I genuinely don't care. Like, 
it has nothing to do with politics or trying to like score one for diversity, you know. No, but I just for, I I just want a good Spider-Man movie, something that was better than the last two movie, last three movies. Now that you mention it, um, that's that's all I care. That's all I care about. You can cast Pope Francis as MJ if it gives me a good Spider-Man movie. I'll take it. <laughs> I really want to see that now. But. <laughs> They said, Tiger, you hit the jackpot. <laughs> I'm <at> the Pope. <laughs> I, I see a T-shirt brewing here. <laughs> anyway, um, just just so we not spend the rest of the episode. Speaking of twists on MJ. Um, renew your vows. Uh, we got some costumes. What, what, what was your takeaway from that, Dan? Well, the costumes seem to be, you know, not exactly the ones we were left with at the end of Issue five of Renew Your Vows. Everybody kind of has gone to the tailor and gotten a nicer suit. Um, but weirder than that, well, first of all, MJ is in high heels in her costume, which, I mean, okay, I thought we had moved past that design for women's costumes, but I'll, I'll accept it because she's a fashion model, um, and that could be her MO is to be fashionable. Uh, in, in her suit, but she has a costume, which I think means MJ has superpowers. Would that be your takeaway? Yeah, I, I think it's a plausibility. I mean, that's not what we saw in Secret Wars, but that doesn't mean it can't happen here. It is an alternate uh, an alternate take, I guess, on this. So, yeah, I'm, I'll be interested to see if that ends up being true, because last we saw her, she kind of just donned, like, that armor uh, you know, the regent henchman armor to kind of take regent down. But this seems to be something wholly different. Um, and I like, I love the artwork and we've been getting a lot of released artwork on, uh, through Ryan Stegman's Twitter and through, I guess, Jerry Conway retweeting it as well. Um, uh, I'm really pumped for this book. Uh, and again, I'm going to reassert my question. Can this book with its, you know, exciting, not to say Dan Slott and Arby Silva or Giuseppe Comancoli aren't exciting, but I would say Jerry Conway and Ryan Stegman and, and this concept is going to be very exciting for comic book readers. Will this continue? Will this outsell uh, Amazing Spider-Man proper? Yeah, I don't know. I mean, I, I, it's going to present a very interesting dilemma for Marvel if it does. Is that a fair statement? Yeah, yeah. I mean, that, that's what has me most interested is what is that dilemma and, like, what is the takeaway? Like, do you just say, well, we can keep offering this book? Or do you say eventually, like, maybe we should incorporate elements of this book. People really do want, you know, to, to see these characters. And can I, they- think it, I, I think it only becomes a problem, for lack of a better word, if Renew Your Vows – is seen as cutting into the sales of Amazing Spider-Man. And not that that's a problem. I just mean that people are leaving Amazing Spider-Man only to read Renew Your Vows. If both books continue to perform, even if Renew Your Vows outsells ASM, I I don't see um, one book influencing the other. Yeah. But, you know, if, like, ASM sales drop... Like considerably, and renew your vows remains strong. I think it's a certain statement from readers about what they want to see in terms of the status quo. And this, you know, and that's not. I mean, let me let me this state is this. All clearly. speculation. 
this is all speculation, but also let me state this clearly. I'm referring to a married Peter Parker. Not, I'm not trying to say, oh, this is the sign that it's Dan Slot's time to go. No, 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 no. I'm talking about, you know, is if 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 fan, you know, we always talk about fans voting with their wallets, et cetera. Um, and and you know, the book did decline in sales um, after one more day, um, but you know, a lot of that has kind of been resuscitated during the Dan Slott era, especially during Superior Spider-Man. Um, so, you know, if you, you know, if you have two books and, 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 and the, the Mary Peter consistently outsells the other one to the point where the, the regular mainstream one is losing sales, what does Marvel do? Let me ask you this, uh, not to, this be the last thing I, I, I want to uh, discuss about this is, do you think, because you've got a, a name like Jerry Conway on the cover and a name like Dan Slott on the cover, and I couldn't tell you who has got the bigger pull, but do you I, think that like uh, comic readers respond, I mean, I, I think I know the answer to this, do you think comic readers respond more to the cover image and the concept than they do who's writing it because like you could – this book could sell really well and you could say, well, people just really like Jerry Conway. And certainly his miniseries uh, have sold quite well, although his carnage is not selling gangbusters. Yeah, I mean like I, 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 don't, I don't mean to throw cold water on that, Dan, but like I, 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 mean, and, I mean Jerry Conway is a legend and, and I think you, know, you and I both think he's a fantastic creator. But I think in 2016, Dan Slott is unquestionably – the more the bigger, more recognizable name to today's readers than Jerry Conway is. I think you know. I, but I, but I, I also I also don't think that like people buy books because of writers. They buy them because I, of concepts. I think, believe it or not, I think Dan Slott is one of those writers people buy books for. Really, I do. That's interesting. Yeah, I I I, I think. He's one of those writers. I, I, you know, this is not me talking about the quality. I'm just saying, like, I, I, I think he's at a, he has reached a point where his name on a book sells the book. How, I mean, but Silver Surfer doesn't sell crazy amounts. It doesn't sell crazy amounts, but for, for a Silver Surfer book, it does quite well. Okay. Silver Surfer has always been a tough, a tough nut to crack for Marvel. They love the character, but it, it's never really worked as a solo character. And it helps that it's an excellent book. It, it helps that it's an excellent book. It helps that you got Mike Allred, who's a superstar in his own right. I mean, there are other elements in play here, but but I I, I do feel that um, because I I mean you know I no I I I I I'm at that point. I think that that um, like someone like. Bendis or Mark Millar moves books by name. I think that, um, you know, Matt Fraction or, or Brian K. Vaughn move books by name. You know what I mean? Like it's, it's someone will, someone will pick something up and give it a try because they, you know, it's a recognizable name. It's someone that they know has done, if not good work, popular work. Um, so they want to see for themselves. Um, that's just my, my two cents. I just wanted to kind of say, like, I, I don't think if this book does sell better than Amazing Spider-Man, I don't think it's a referendum on, on the writers. Yeah, well, exactly. That's that's that, and I and that was kind of my original point was yeah. like I, you know, when I was saying what what's you know, it's it's a conundrum, it's a it's a quandary for Marvel. That's not me being like, oh, does that mean you replace Dan Slott with Jerry Conway? No, I just mean like, you know, 
whether it's Dan Slott writing Amazing Spider-Man or whoever, you know, if if Renew Your Vows proves to be the more popular book over the long haul, you know, what does that mean for Amazing Spider-Man status quo? Yeah, it'll be interesting to find out. And again, that could not happen. So yeah. just like, if that doesn't happen, erase this conversation from your memory banks. Right. But I do think the book is going to do well, especially I, the I first few issues. I yeah. think, I, I mean... I think it's going to probably certainly do like Spider-Gwen numbers out of the gate. Yeah. All right. Um, you want to you start heading home? Yeah, sure. All right. It's the end of the show, and that means you can find all of our new Amazing Spider Talk and old Superior Spider Talk podcasts at SuperiorSpiderTalk.com or find us on iTunes, Stitcher, Google Play, and YouTube by searching for Amazing Spider Talk. And if you do, please be sure to leave us a review. We love getting your reviews. We didn't get any this these past two weeks. But um, I do want to say the YouTube is going very well. We've got a lot of people subscribing there, so thank you for, for joining on if you're listening to this through YouTube. Um, we will soon be adding every episode of the show to YouTube. It just takes a long time, and I'm slowly chipping away at it. So the catalog will be there soon if you're listening on YouTube. Yay. Thanks, Dan. And uh, additionally, be sure to check out our brother podcast, The Ultimate Spin, if you want to keep up with the adventures of Miles Morales and Spider-Gwen Stacy. Yeah, they're going to have a new episode out soon. There were two of their books this week, so I imagine they'll be putting a new one out. Um, Also, guys, please be sure to check out and join our friendly neighborhood Spider Talk Members Club so you can get all kinds of amazing prizes in the mail. Listen to members-only podcasts and support the continuation of our show and website. And how can they do that, Mark? Yeah, Dan, they could do that by uh, clicking on the uh, front page of our website on the Friendly Neighborhood Spider Talk Members Club pages, uh, and, and they will get directed to our Patreon page. So yay for that. All kinds of cool things going on, on over there. Um, next week, Mark, we're going to be discussing our next Essentials pick. We're really knocking these things out. Uh, Mark, this time it's your choice. Uh, what are we going to be reading next week? Yeah, well, um, you know, we're, we're reaching back to an uh, a, a f- interesting era in Spider-Man history. Uh, we're doing Amazing Spider-Man number 397 and 398, Spectacular Spider-Man number 220 and 221. It's a story known uh, as Web of Death. Um, but, um, you know, real continuity hounds will know that as being one part of many, many of the infamous clone saga. So, um, be sure to check out those issues. Um, and, uh, yeah, don't be afraid of clones. Yeah. What were those issues again, Mark? Uh, Amazing Spider-Man 397 and 398 and Spectacular 220 and 221. So open up your Marvel Unlimited and join us for the next episode. Mark. You know, you've teased us with with this exciting top five greatest essential Flash Thompson's Flash Reviews special guest list. Where might we potentially find you writing that future list? Well, you could, of course, find me on SuperiorSpiderTalk.com. And I will then try and tweet about said list on Twitter at ChasingASMblog. Dan, what about you? Well, you can find me holding Mark to that uh, on Twitter <laughs> at at Sup, Spider Talk, and I will eventually publish his amazing work over at superiorspidertalk.com where we have all kinds of awesome content 
from a ton of uh, contributors. We got a couple new contributors this week. Our team just keeps growing and growing and growing. It's like I'm cloning people. Maybe I am, Mark. That's awful, Dan. All right, Mark. Don't uh, make don't make fun, don't make jokes about clones. Yeah, I know it's a serious subject and very sensitive in the modern age. Uh, mm-hmm. Mark, uh, everyone's got to have a sidekick. Uh, of course. You know, yeah, yeah, of course. You know, uh, like like Alpha. Yeah. Who could forget Alpha? We all could. Yeah. Anyway. Yes, but uh, but uh, case in point, your Uncle Ben did so much to help raise you when your parents passed away. But, you know, he couldn't have done it without his sidekick, Aunt May. Did your aunt ever teach you any unforgettable life lessons? Yeah, you know... Um... You know, my Aunt May, she was she was a real pistol. There was she she would always make my favorite breakfast growing up, um, which, you know, as fate would have it, were wheat cakes. Um, her special uh patented recipe, uh I will not share that, unlike uh what we learned in Untold Tales of Spider Man annual number one. But, you know, she she she, she was a pistol and she and Uncle Ben had a very interesting relationship, and and you know there was one time Uncle Uncle Ben was teasing her about a lot of her cooking, and was like, you know, like oh you you burn toast or you know you burn boiling water, you know a lot of jokes about burning things. I don't How know what that was about. Burn water. Exactly, that was the thing. Like oh, he's okay. like, so you he's know, a humorous like, fellow. That uncle. Yeah, he's she's jolly, and 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 she kept saying, you know, keep making fun of my cooking and watch what happens, Uncle Ben. And I, I kept warning him. I was like, you know, she's she's gonna get you one of these days, Uncle Ben. So, um, you know, one of these days, I um, you know, sat down to a bit, you know, breakfast. We had the wheat cakes out. Um, and, um, you know, uncle Ben was kind of, he was tussling my hair saying, Oh, you're getting so big. I can't out wrestle you now sport. And I'm like, Oh yeah. Why are you messing my hair up? I'm about to go to school. It's really annoying. Just as I was about to dig in, Aunt May was like, Oh, Mark, can you, can you, can you go, um, get the newspaper? I'm like, Oh, okay. So I get up from the table, I go out. And then all of a sudden, like from the kitchen, I hear choking, and I, I, I run in and I'm like, what's going on? What's going on? And Aunt May's like, I told you I was going to teach him a lesson. I'm like, Aunt May, what'd you do? She's like, I laced the wheat cakes with cyanide, Mark. <laughs> that's, that's horrible. <laughs> and, and then Uncle Ben died. Uh, so that was how my Aunt May taught me how to get, get away with murder. Because, well, I'm not going to explain what we did to Uncle Ben um, for her to get away from murder. Because that's, that's really sick. Um, but um, let's, be, let's be said that Aunt May reminded me. With great wheat cakes and podcasts come amazing spider talk. Don't, don't miss the next installment.